Blog Talk Radio. Radio Saigon and simulcast across the country via Blog Talk Radio and later on BFlow360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. I'm your host, Mike Gardner, and it is a beautiful summer afternoon, Friday, May 16, 2014. Thank you once again for tuning in to Blog Talk Radio, Fanatic Radio, where the podcast is always available on iTunes to listen to past shows. But we have a great show for you on deck. This afternoon, we have David Warden of the L.A. Times joining us to talk about the Donald Sterling case and what happens with the Los Angeles Clippers. Paul Page, the voice of the IndyCar Series Radio and voice of the Indy 500, will join us later in the show. And Graham Burns and I will go into deep detail on the Johnny Menzel case for the Cleveland Browns, where we have... Interesting news in the world of basketball. The conference finals are indeed set. And the Oklahoma City Thunder got past the Clippers. So I'll be interested to see what happens with the Clippers organization moving forward. They face the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference Finals after the Spurs swept the Portland Trail Blazers in the Eastern Conference. The Indiana Pacers... Uh, set up a rematch with the defending champion Miami Heat. And looking at both these matchups, it is interesting when you take a look at the path that the teams have have taken to get to the conference finals. Miami Heat have swept the Bobcats and only dropped one game to the Brooklyn Nets, so they have played a total of nine games. Meanwhile, you have the Oklahoma City Thunder in the West, who beat the Memphis Grizzlies in seven games and the Clippers in six, so they have 13 games. So that is a four-game swing in terms of who is rested and who is not. Of course, the uh, the matchups are ones and two seeds, which I found very interesting. Not a lot of parity in this year's playoffs. That being said, the ones and two seeds rightfully earned their spots, which is one of the reasons why I love the NBA, the fact that there are no upsets, no surprises. If you are the best team, you therefore win the games and advance to the next round. Uh, ben Florence is looking very confident that the Miami Heat, he will join us later in this segment to talk about the conference championship predictions, how he had a Spurs Heat rematch final, and that is looking pretty good. Both those teams are playing at the top of their game right now. LeBron James shooting lights out for the Miami Heat. He's done a great job. Of course, the teams they've played, I wouldn't say are the best teams in the Eastern Conference, especially in the playoffs. They haven't been tested once, and the Indiana Pacers definitely are the team to test them because they beat my Wizards 
which I want to give a good hand to uh, Randy Whitman and the Washington Wizards, bringing some excitement to the city that the Washington Redskins and Capitals couldn't, nor did the Nationals this year, or have, at least have not this year. So they are out, but the Pacers move on, making my prediction of a Spurs-Pacers final all that uh, exclusive as San Antonio takes on the Thunder, which I would not be surprised if the Spurs did well. Of course, that being said, the Thunder had to beat the Los Angeles Clippers, as we are now joined here for our weekly conversation by David Warden of the L.A. Times. Thank you once again for joining us on the show, and welcome back. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Uh, first off, from an L.A. perspective, it would be very interesting to know well, what is going to happen to the Clippers now that they are officially out of the playoffs. Where does the, from a team's perspective, where do they go from here? Well, I think the big question is what happens with Donald Sterling. By all indications, he's going to to fight uh, in any way he can think of to keep that team. And while that's all going on, there's really a question of how the players are going to react and how Coach Doc Rivers is going to react. Uh, you know, a number of the players and Rivers have said that they don't want to play for that team if Sterling is still the owner. So. Things could get kind of ugly as we get closer to next season. Sterling is still around, and if you bring this whole thing into court, he could be around for a couple of years. I was going to say, he um, is refusing to pay the fine imposed by Adam Silver, and then he goes on Anderson Cooper. Do you think that Donald Sterling is making his case even worse with all these interviews and with all the drama that's slowly growing? Well, no one can quite figure out uh, you know, why he went on Anderson Cooper. I have to say, you know, that was a very strange appearance. And his, his wife, we call her his former wife, they're still, still technically married. Um, Shelly Sterling, you know, went out and said, hey, listen, we believe he may be suffering from early dementia. And after seeing what he did on television and hearing some of the things he said, you just have to wonder, you know, with his attitude towards race, Aside, is he really sound enough to be running an, an NBA team right now? And, and it just doesn't seem like it to me. Is his wife? Is it fair for his wife to be fighting for the team? A lot of people are giving Shelly Sterling a lot of flack because she's still connected. She's been with Donald Sterling for all these years and still is tied to the name. But the fact that she is sticking up for keeping the team is is she in the right for wanting to keep the Clippers, or would she be better just to put all this behind her? You know, I think I think she'd be far better putting this behind her. Also, you have to remember that, um, you know, even if you were to transfer ownership fully to, to Shelley, the NBA Board of Governors would still have to approve it. The other voters would still have to vote her in. And I don't think there's any way they'll do that. So regardless of what she wants, I mean, she might have to go to court when this all comes down to if she's that determined. But I don't think the other owners are going to vote, vote to approve her as the owner. You know, I think they're going to try to force her out as well. From, a, from an L.A. perspective, how has this whole fiasco adapted or changed from when it first happened to the banning of Sterling to two, two three weeks down the road today? You know, I think that, you know, it, it, people around the country may not have the same feel for it that we do here. Sterling has always been a ridiculed person here. He's never been liked. Um, you know, for a long time he was seen as a guy 
who could turn a small profit on the team without spending any money, without putting good players on the court. He, you know, time and again, he would, they would be a lousy team that would get a high draft pick. They'd bring someone in, and as soon as that rookie contract was done, whoever it was would, would hit the road. And, and you know, the Clippers would never get good for any sustained period of time. So he's never been a liked person here. He's always been a, you know, uh, just a negative character in terms of L.A. sports fans. So I don't know that so much has changed. I think uh, maybe a little of the focus has shifted from, okay, now Sterling's really blown and now everyone can see who he is, to thinking that, you know, maybe, you know, that he maybe screwed this season up for a team that was quite good and had high expectations. So maybe some of the focus has shifted away from just complete ridicule to, to feeling sympathetic about the team and, and feeling bad about what happened. Um, but, you know, I don't know that anyone here is totally shocked. This is the, this is the guy that we always thought Donald Sterling was. He's Dave Ward of the L.A. Times, joining us here on Fanatic Radio. Clippers interim CEO Dick Parsons said the franchise would, quote, become America's team if we get this right. How much power is in his hands to sort of make uh, make amends on the situation? You know, it's a good question, and I'm not really sure. I mean, I think the courts are going to have something to say with that, uh, say about that, because if if Sterling does file a lawsuit, uh, you know, he might be able to to stop you know the NBA and the NBA trustee from from making any big moves, and uh, and he's still going to keep his name in there. So I don't really know what you can really do for the team or the image of the team if Sterling is still in place as the owner, even if it's a, you know, an embattled owner. Overall, was this a good season for the Clippers, uh, making the Western Conference semifinals under new head coach? Yeah, it was a good season. I think um, – I think the only the only thing that that fans are thinking about right now is you know uh, the game five loss and what that says about Chris Paul. He's very very popular. He's done so much for the team, but he does have that stigma in some circles of not being a big game player. And with the Clippers losing that lead in the final 45 50 seconds uh, and Paul making a number of mistakes, um, I think that people are wondering well. You know, does he have what it takes to the Clippers? You know, will they mature to the point where they can get past these sorts of playoff series and get into the finals? All right, and we'll get you out of here on this, David. You're, uh, the, Anaheim, the Anaheim Ducks are in Game 7 tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern on NBC Sportsnet against local rival L.A. Kings. been a very exciting series. Can the one-seeded Ducks get it done to take on the Blackhawks? You would think so, especially at home. But as we know, home ice hasn't meant much uh, either in this series or any other playoff series this this postseason. And, uh, you know, after what the Kings did, I mean, they've got a very veteran group that's been through a lot. After what they did coming back down three games, you know, making history or at least joining a very small group of teams in history to have come back from that, uh, that deficit, uh, I really wouldn't count the Kings out, even though it's in the Honda Center and they'll be facing a hostile crowd. Uh, I think that uh, this is a very tough group that's been through, as I said, been through a lot together, and and it's going to be a tough game, I think. All right, he's David Wharton of the L.A. Times joining us here on Fanatic Radio. Thanks once again for your time. Love to talk to you soon. All right, thanks very much. Bye-bye. Interesting with the fact of 
where the Clippers go from here. A lot of the players, Chris Paul, head, new head coach Doc Rivers, all expressing their opinions on staying or leaving the franchise. It could be very interesting. Let's talk some b-balls. As we are told by Mike Breen, talk some basketball. We are talking some playoff talk. We'll get back to that for further predictions and what Donald Sterling should do and the Sterling family should do. First of all, I think Charlie Sterling should just give up the give up the team, sell the team, get rid of it, because I don't know why she's trying so hard to keep this franchise because, one, as much as it is his fault, Donald Sterling's, it is also in the right Shelly Sterling's fault because if you have known him this long and know that, as David Wharton said on, our, on the phone line, that he has been this hated figure in Los Angeles, to know that they're always second banana to the Los Angeles Lakers. You know this. There's no, there should be no surprise of, of his actions and what he's trying to do and not paying the fine and going on on this buffoon tangent like he did on Anderson Cooper. So I don't understand why she would want to be tied and connected to it. It, it just makes her look desperate. It makes the family look like idiots. It makes the Clippers a joke. And they were a very good team this year. They were third seed in the West. They were a strong offensive powerhouse. Lob City was better than ever. Still missing, I think, a key defensive player off the bench. They have a lot of offensive power. But in the end, what happened was sort of a lack of inexperience and leadership, losing to an MVP like Kevin Durant and the Oklahoma City Thunder, who did not easily deserve to win this series because they're still just struggling through the playoffs barely getting soon, just sell the team, just get rid of it, sell the team. Just don't give anyone any hope or any false hope, which which is probably what we're going to see when Donald Sterling takes us to court. Interesting enough, just across the street from the Clippers to the Lakers, a woeful Lakers team, which can only be described like Mike Francesa of WFAN said, a bunch of D-leaguers, uh, now has to go to the lottery pick. And last time they had that, they drafted Andrew Bynum years ago. And interesting enough, GM Mitch Kupchak talked to Andy Katz at the NBA Draft Combine on Kobe Bryant's role in the selection of a new head coach. From time to time we ask his advice. He really won't weigh in on something like this. Um, I'm not even sure that we'll talk to him prior to interviews. Um, But, you know, from time to time he is in our facility. I'll go downstairs and I'll talk to him about a bunch of different things. So Kupchak is saying Kobe will have no say in the new head coach. But ironically, Kobe Bryant went on Jimmy Kimmel Live saying that, well, without his say, they've gotten the last two coaches of Mike Brown and Mike D'Antoni. Just don't get a coach named Mike, I guess, is, is, is one thing. Um, obviously, Steve Kerr is off the, uh, off the market. That's an interesting move, which uh, Kerr is now going to be the new head coach of the Golden State Warriors is uh, replacing Mark Jackson, which one I do not think should have been fired. I thought Mark Jackson was a year away. Because, one, he never had a team in the playoffs with a healthy either Andrew Bogut or David Lee. He never had team, never had a team healthy. They were a team that upset the Spurs last year, which was great. But not last year. Um, a few years ago, they upset the Nuggets last year. Then they almost beat the Clippers this year trying to take full advantage of them on the downslope of the Donald Sterling case. And 
This is a next-year team with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, I believe in their fourth years of the league, respectively. And then Andrew Bogut and David Lee are a solid front court. Harrison Barnes has been good off the bench. Also Draymond Green as well. They are a good team. It's a good organization. They need Mark Jackson because he's a guy that understands the type of play. Steve Kerr as a coach will be very interesting. He'll be very disciplined. He'll be like a Scott Brooks in Oklahoma City. He'll let the players do a lot, and that could be sort of a bad thing because with a team like this, uh, very similar to the club team and the boys and girls club teams I've coached, similar in every every way but the fact that they're not NBA players, they run a very free-flowing offense, a very wild offense in that they will take a lot of threes, they will drive to the basket a lot, and that's pretty much it. Rarely do you see them take mid-ranges. Rarely do you see them run a five-man offense and post up. They're a, teams that like, they're a team that likes to get the ball and run, run a lot. And I think Steve Kerr will let them do that. I think Steve Kerr will get them to listen, like buy into what he's saying. But it's interesting to what exactly is he wanting to buy in. I don't understand that at all, the fact that you have a very good team of young guys and Steve Kerr has no coaching experience. The only thing he has is the fact that he was a player of the Chicago Bulls that played with one of the, the greatest of all time. So Steve Kerr is the coach of the Warriors as the NBA season rolls on. Our Western Conference playoff predictions before we move on in this, in this first half of the show here on Fanatic Radio. The San Antonio Spurs taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is an interesting playoff matchup, as I believe is was exact as last year. Uh, no, it was uh, Spurs and Memphis. So Oklahoma City has not been in the Western Conference Finals until two years ago when they faced the Miami Heat after LeBron won his very first title. But the Spurs are coming off a five-game five game series win, 4-1 over the Portland Trailblazers, same as the Heat. But the Spurs have been the only team that struggled in the first half of the playoffs in the first round and then bounced back and played phenomenal. The defense as a team shut down the Trailblazers because I think it was the first time that Demarcus Aldridge actually went up against someone who had, was, was his match. Obviously, the Houston Rockets had none of that. Chandler Parsons was too small. Dwight Howard was a five, always getting in foul trouble. No one could go out and defend Aldridge on the perimeter. So, in light and short, the Trailblazers were able to win by a Damian Lillard three against the Houston Rockets in round one. Then they get to the Spurs, and they got smoked. They got waxed. They were completely outplayed, outperformed, and outmanned. Because the Spurs have so much depth. All they, all they needed to do was get a seven-game series with my Dallas Mavericks, go toe-to-toe with certain Nowitzki and a scrappy old Mavericks team. But Doc, uh, Pop, Greg Popovich, a great coach, uh, persevere because the Spurs killed – ever since the Spurs beat the Mavericks by 20 in Game 7, they have just been an absolute buzzsaw through the Western Conference. Oklahoma City Thunder, this could easily go to – this is like a six-game series. You can see the Spurs dropping a game. Oklahoma City gets all this confidence, all this wave. Put the 538 of ESPN.com said that Scott Brooks may have found an unspeedable lineup with Scott Adams and a lot of the scrappy players that come off the bench to pair with either Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant. Who's been playing phenomenal, by the way. Rightful choice of MVP. I don't see this Oklahoma City Thunder continue with the Spurs, though. Too much depth, too much personnel, because Portland had Damian Lillard as a point guard to try to stop Tony Parker, and he's younger than Russell Westbrook. You know, Monte Ellis is just as 
just as old as Russell Westbrook. I don't see anyone stopping Tony Parker. And then bringing Ginobili off the bench is great because him and Danny Green are spot-on three-point shooters. Easily to say the Spurs can win this in six games. I don't see this going into seven, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Spurs win it easy. San Antonio to the finals, which game one is Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern on TNT. Catch um, Marv and Steve Kerr, or maybe not Steve Kerr. Let's just see what TNT does with that. Putting Reggie Miller on the call, maybe? Kevin Harlan? Oh, no, I think my boy David Aldridge will be uh, down there in San Antonio, Charles Barkley's favorite place. Eastern Conference, a rematch of the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat last year's conference finals. I have the Pacers going to face the Spurs, which I'm now starting to be on the fence of that. But at the same time, I would not be surprised if Indiana wins. Miami has swept Charlotte in the first round, and they defeated a, a pretty bad and old Brooklyn Nets team. One, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised the Brooklyn Nets even made it to the second round. The fact they beat Toronto, who is probably just as bad, because I could name at least five teams on one hand who could have beaten the Brooklyn Nets. Because they're old, and they're just so unorganized. Clearly saying Jason Kidd was not the right man for that got into the playoffs, but then again, who didn't make the playoffs in the East? I mean, the Bobcats made it. Our Washington Wizards made it. The Washington Wizards were two games away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Miami has never been tested in this playoff, and a lot of teams, it goes one or two ways. You are tested in the first round because you come into the playoffs or, or a tournament or whatever as a high seed. You have a lot, a lot of this expectation of, oh, you're going to run the table and win. That being said, a lot of times, the, the smaller teams, the, the teams with worse records, lower seeds, as you've seen this a lot in the NCAA tournament, the big teams come in of the conference championship, the one seed, whatever, the two seed, and they get upset by the lower seed. Because the lower seeds have nothing to lose. Charlotte and Brooklyn were lower seeds, had nothing to lose, but they were just bad and could not keep up with LeBron James. Of course, none of them had a guy that could that was either old enough, either young enough or strong enough to compete with the King of A., and Miami's now in the conference finals. That being said, the Indiana Pacers have always had very physical matchups with Miami this year. That game one is Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. And I'm still on the fence. Next week will be a better way, a better thing once I see these first few games because I'm, I'm going with my gut saying Indiana is going to win. I think Frank Vogel is an underrated coach. Now that they are able to get past Atlanta and get past the Washington Wizards, who are two very average teams, which says a lot for the Eastern Conference. This is not Indiana's biggest test in terms of talent or in terms of of surviving a series. Because they have proven during the regular season that they could go toe-to-toe with Miami, and rightfully so. But the Miami Heat have not been tested but it's just sad because I think the Miami Heat are going to make it to the finals because this is not a one-game series. It's a seven-game series. And so if Indiana is even to steal two games from the Heat, obviously Miami is going to make adjustments. LeBron James is going to come out at press conferences saying we can rebuild and get back, and Miami is going to go to the finals. So as of now, as of the 16th of May, I will go with Ben Florence on the Spurs-Miami Heat final, but I'm sticking with my – or always stick with my gut and choose the Indiana Pacers. That's enough for our basketball talk. Stanley Cup playoffs, as I mentioned earlier in the top of the show, 
the Anaheim Ducks and Los Angeles Kings game 7 tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, NBC Sportsnet. That is it. That's the only game left in the NHL playoffs for the conference finals. As I said earlier, the Blackhawks could easily repeat as champions, and they are looking great with that, able to win both first-round and second-round series 4-2. Patrick Kane, the heroics, once again. No one can stop the Blackhawks. I'd love to see anyone try. I want to give a shout-out to all the New York Rangers fans back in the conference finals after winning game 7-2-1 against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, of course, my other Eastern Conference Stanley Cup pick, the Boston Bruins, lost to the Montreal Canadiens in seven games. Exciting for Canadiens Rangers, an old East Coast, I think, original six, uh, which always makes my dad happy. I don't know why, because he loves the old school hockey, and rightfully so. A few minutes before we go to the break, NBA dra- uh, Draft Combine is going on today. Uh I don't. First of all, I don't understand why they have it. It's not like the NFL. There's not 200 plus players entering the draft that are going to guarantee a spot on the team. There's only two rounds of the NBA draft, and then after that, yes, where you get the Paul Millsaps and the uh, and the guys in the D League that work their way through the ranks. That being said, a lot of people are high on the Andrew Wiggins train, saying he could be the easily number one. I don't understand why the guy's as skinny as a twig. Although he has a great vertical, he wasn't that good in college. I wouldn't say he was a phenomenal player. You know, Bill Self tried to make him a good player, tried to make him a good team player. But draft-wise, I don't understand. I'm not going to say he's he's this high and mighty player. He obviously choked when it mattered most in the tournament. They both to the NBA. I think Jabari Parker is a better term player NBA-wise because he's big. He's got a wingspan. He can run the floor. He can dunk from pretty much anywhere in the paint. And he can shoot a jumper. He's looking good. Players also like Julius Randle and Aaron Gordon have been sort of brushed under the rug for the combine and the fact that their heights are smaller than what some have said. And Doug McDermott as well. Those guys are going to be good NBA players. Everyone is always always trying to shut down the fact that McDermott's not going to be a good NBA player. McDermott is an overall is an all-around package. So uh, he he can shoot the three, he can shoot pretty much anywhere on the floor as we've seen in tournament games in the regular season when he averaged, you know, 25 plus points. He's huge. He's 6 okay, the NBA with some 6-6. But he's listed as 6-8. He was national player of the year. He led a, a pretty small Creighton school to the NCAA tournament, he can post up, he can get to the basket, he's a good player. And then you have a lot of sort of iffies, guys that, you know, they could they could look good, they could not. Marcus Smart, Gary Harris, among others, Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon's a good player as well. He should have stayed in college. I don't understand why he went out. The one thing I do want to applaud before we go to the break is both the Harrison twins stayed. So if Kentucky wins the national championship, which I wouldn't be surprised and could easily pick that they will, they are the two reasons why. They're good players, and they're, and they're smart. They have good heads on their shoulders. They don't just go chasing money trying to, to get, as Jabari Parker says, the risk of being hurt. Because if you don't get hurt, then obviously you're not healthy enough to play in the NBA. And a lot of these guys, it's sad because of the fact that they'll get, they'll get drafted, or maybe they won't. They'll be free agents, but then you'll never see them. And you'll be like, oh, what happened to that guy? Not a good player. He was a good player in college, but, you know, never sees the light of day in the NBA. To soccer news, this actually came up today. Fanatic Radio is breaking along with every other news source. Uh, Reuters reporting 
that apparently awarding the 2022 World Cup to Qatar was, quote, a mistake, and the tournament will probably have to be held in the winter because of the heat, FIFA president Sepp Blatter said. I'm not going to say anything more on that except... That being said, I had been uh, talking myself hoarse on this show, saying Qatar is no place for a World Cup. And then after all the allegations, all the, the labor disputes, the mistreatment of employees, mistreatment of women, politics, lack of stadiums, weather, economy, everything under the sun, finally the FIFA president, Seth Blatter, who is public enemy number one here on Fanatic Radio, said it was a mistake. So U.S. soccer fans... Semi-rejoice because FIFA could always bounce it to the United States like they did for the 2003 Women's World Cup when the SARS epidemic broke out and it went to America. USA is ready, but uh, ironically, Sebladder goes on to say, I will never say that Qatar bought it, which is one of the other big reasons why they got a lot of of, uh, pressure from media and everyone else. Basically, FIFA Secretary General Jerome Valak said in January that the World Cup would not be played in the summer, likely held between November and January, but the majority of the soccer world is saying no. And then FIFA also launched an investigation last year to alleged corruption surrounding the voting procedures of 2018-22. Ironically, in Russia and Qatar, the last two places that you'd want to play a soccer game. That being said, it's hilarious that he admits it, and now... Only the soccer gods can take it from here. What does FIFA do next? I hope that Qatar loses the World Cup because it's not suited. Although there is less than 30 days to the World Cup, Klinsman has his 30-man roster. We'll talk about that and more. On the flip side, you're listening to Fanatic Radio on blogtalkradio.com. More after this. It's Fanatic Radio. What's wrong with that? He fought for his country. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio. Ladies, nobody cared about the Jump Street reboot, but you got lucky. So now this department has invested a lot of money to make sure Jump Street keeps going. Problem is, the Koreans bought the church back, so we're moving you across the road to 22. Jump Street. What's up, dog? We're back. You two sons of bitches are going to college. We'll go around to classes and activities, ask around about the drugs, find out who the dealer is. Channing Tatum. If you don't have to do this, man. I just don't want you getting hurt. Jonah Hill. I'm not going to get hurt. Oh, broke my eye. We Jump Street, and we're about to jump in your ass. Mm-hmm. Right in the crack. 22 Jump Street in theaters this summer, June 13th. Fanatic Radio is America's premier sports music program. It's an essential part of our society, like hot dogs and Cadillacs. With Mike Gardner and Ben Florence providing unique insight from the wide world of sports. He should just retire so he can tip him in bronze and ship him to the Hall of Fame. Playing only the hottest music. The only thing we ever play on the show is Motown and R&B. And always striving for perfection. We're climbing the ladder to success, escalator style. Yes! See for yourself. Check out Fanatic Radio only on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
Fanatic Radio. It's as good as it gets. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio. Okay, he doesn't belong in college for two minutes, no less one year. Back here on Fanatic Radio, Block Talk Radio's premier sports music program, America's premier sports music program, Mike Gardner, here uh, in the studio as we talked with David Warden of the L.A. Times in the first half of the show about the Donald Sterling case and where the Clippers go from here. We talked some NBA playoffs, some soccer news, and we got some more soccer news headed your way. Don't forget, you can check out the podcast on iTunes, on Fanatic Radio. Go to blogtalkradio.com slash Fanatic Radio to listen to all the episodes. Also, check out Fanatic Radio's new YouTube channel. Search The Fanatic Radio. Go to youtube.com slash The Fanatic Radio. Over the next few weeks, as we'll be posting the interviews from what you've heard on the episodes. So you can listen to them at your convenience on your mobile device and your computer. Hurricane Clemson selected his 30-man roster to the surprise of many Players like Eddie Johnson and Sasha Kleschen were let off. That, that being said, I don't think any of those players should have been on it. And uh, it's a good, a good selection of uh, a personnel that Klinsman has. The question is, though, where does he take it from here? I must cut down seven more players. And as soccer analyst John Gardner and I were talking about in the past week, uh, that should not be a problem. A lot of these guys should not be on it. Julian Green, DeAndre Yeldon. Just don't do it, Jurgen. You have a good, solid uh, core of defenders, though, which is very surprising. And this could be a team with a lot of uh, youth and experience on the 30-man squad. But don't be surprised if a big name is let off. Easily, Brad Evans could easily be a guy that could be let off. Clarence Goodson, those guys have been plagued with injuries. Uh, I think the world would split in two if Landon Donovan is not on the roster, but he has to be. He is the only bit of experience. But uh, that interesting documentary that ESPN 30 for 30 released following the USA, it was very cinematography-wise, it was very good, very well put together. Interesting and a little confusing how the mothership is sort of crafting these uh, notions of of what the the average fan should do with U.S. soccer. If you're not a soccer fan, Look it up on yourself or just, just follow it because it's the cool thing to do. Don't try to invest. Don't try to get so involved in depth because the World Cup is done in three months. And then after that, the next World Cup is until another four years. And a lot of these fans just don't care about the ESPN mothership. They just don't care. Only those that care do care. The Road to Brazil series kicks off May 29th in D.C. and runs to June 7th. This is everyone's last chance to see the stars before they head off to Brazil. Make sure to buy your tickets now, today, at www.roadtobrazil.us. That's right. Get those tickets. Those games start soon. A chance to watch some of the best and brightest in the world, let alone the country. Clemson uh, is going to probably wait to the very end to pick up where he left off is, uh, with his 23-man roster because uh, FIFA deadline is May, I think, June 2nd. And so it's coming up. And the road to Brazil uh, kicks off after that when the U.S. takes on Turkey in Red Bull Arena. We'll be joined by Paul Page, voice of the IndyCar series on IMS Radio in just a moment as the running the greatest spectacle in racing is only a, a week away, is only a week away 
They have qualifying this Sunday, and then next week you have Carb Day and the 98th running of the Indianapolis 500. Before that, have to talk some football. Interesting news, uh, which we'll get later in the show, about the Michael Sam issue. First of all, I want to say congratulations to him. It's great to see uh, so much passion and emotion of, of, get, of getting that call from that prestigious um, general manager. He goes to St. Louis Rams, so he's close to home. He played four years at Missouri, where he was SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Saw him play in the Cotton Bowl, where the Tigers beat the Oklahoma State Cowboys. He's a very good, a very good uh, Missouri team. Defensively, he was phenomenal. And so he, uh, looking forward to see how he makes the seven-man roster, uh, the 57-man roster, because you have to cut it down. He still has to go through training camp. He still has to go through the works. And but interesting, in Cleveland, it's a different scenario with their draft pick. This is a hard-working, blue-collar town. Um, this isn't Hollywood. We want you to come in here and go to work and work hard and work as hard as anybody on the team. He's not the starter, okay? He's not the starter. Brian Hoyer is our starting quarterback. Brown's general manager, Jimmy Haslam, uh, told reporters that Johnny Manziel, the 22nd pick in the first round, is not the starter, which is a good, uh, good decision by the general manager. I had flip-flopped on this one or two times throughout the week when it, when it happened, when Manziel was picked. Because it is, a big, it is a huge gamble if you take Manziel and make him your starting quarterback. But you can't even just go out and say he's a starting quarterback. He's had no NFL experience. He hasn't even been to training camp. The Browns are not letting media uh, enter into the rookie, rookie mini camps and everything, OTAs because they don't want to get Manziel distracted because Johnny Manziel has definitely got over running his mouth saying, I should be the starter. He has to, in the NFL, and knowing this growing up, uh, knowing the NFL, it's, it is a business. It isn't, you know, at the end of the day, it is not, it is a team, but it is a business. You have to sell, you have to not only just sell tickets, but you have to put the best team on the field to sell tickets. How can you do that if, you put a guy that has no experience and 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 to send to some on an NFL level, not a lot of talent. There's Johnny Manziel. Now now you get you get articles such as today, um, when Cleveland quarterback coach Dow Loggins called into um, ESPN Arkansas 96.3, saying Johnny Manziel texted the Browns saying, "Quote: I wish you guys would come get me. Hurry up and draft me because I want to wreck this league together." I have no, no idea what that means, no idea why the Browns, because the Browns passed on them twice, and they traded down so hard, so desperately to get him, and and now he's just going, now all this is leaking, and now he's coming across with the money sign and everything. You are the height of just too much, It is just, just not worth it. He has, Manziel has to earn his spot like everyone else on the team, so... Who knows what's going to happen when Johnny Menzel goes goes to camp? I think he'll be a solid player. I don't think he'll be a great player. I don't think he's primed to be an NFL quarterback. But who knows? I've been proven I've been proven wrong. I still like from last week how Teddy Bridgewater is the potential face of the Vikings, a very good quarterback that can be sort of second to. And Adrian Peterson, 
he's someone that is a solid player. I don't think Johnny Manziel has the capability to run, especially in the AFC North. As fellow Fanatic Radio member Graham Burns is with us. Graham, Johnny Football, not the starter. Would you make him the starter? Uh, I don't think I'd have him uh, start the season, you know. With all the expectations that have been going on, uh, it just it seems like a lot. And uh, they did an article on NFL.com today about recent uh, Heisman Trophy winners who have played quarterback and have gone to the NFL. And there's been, there's been a rash of them that just haven't succeeded. And I think if Brian Hoyer is healthy, uh, he should be the starter in Cleveland. However, there, should, there definitely should be a quarterback competition and if Johnny Manziel does play better in training camp as well as the preseason, then obviously you should make him the starter. But I don't think you can anoint him just yet. I think you have to give Brian Hoyer or whoever else might bring in their fair shot as well. All right, uh, Ben, thanks for joining us as well, another member of the Fanatic Radio team. I'll have to put you guys on hold for just a minute. We're still uh, waiting to talk with Paul Page, the voice of the, uh, the IndyCar Series, Indianapolis 500. Quickly, though, B-Flo, are you high on the Johnny Manziel train? Uh, absolutely, guys. Uh, and, I, th- you know, I was kind of surprised that they came out and said, even before the competition, that uh, Brian Hoyer will be the starter. Because I think that while Hoyer showed some flashes uh, in a couple of games, he only played in a couple of games before he got hurt. Actually, really, it was only like a game and a half. So I'm definitely on the Manziel train. Uh, he's got his haters, but I am not one of them. I think he can excel in the NFL. Mike, I know you disagree with me, but, you know, we'll let bygones be bygones there. Yeah, I don't think he's that, I don't think he's that good of a player. I don't know, but we'll, we'll talk about more Johnny Manziel in just a minute as we're now joined by a very special guest of Fanatic Radio. He is the voice of the IndyCar series on IMS Radio Network and as taking a sort of a full circle swing from covering the IndyCar series back in the 70s and 80s. Now Paul Page joins us here on Fanatic Radio. How are you today, sir? Hey, how are you? Good afternoon. Uh, it's been a very busy month of May. First off, last week, an interesting new approach the IndyCar series took on the month of May, adding the road course. What was your initial thoughts of the uh, Grand Prix of Indy? Well, I, I was always kind of excited about it. I, I started out kind of, you know, a little cool to it, but the more it built, the more excited I got about it. And I got to tell you, race day, there was a buzz inside the old Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It turned out, despite the uh, – actually, it probably made it more interesting that they had a crash right on the start. But it turned out to be a terrific day, and this place was jammed with fans, so race fans loved it. How does it feel to be back within the com- within the walls of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Because a couple of years back, you were with the NHRA traveling with them coast to coast. Now to be back on the call for the Indy 500, for you personally, what does that mean? Well, I'm I'm still traveling, of course, because I'm going to do the whole series. But for me, it's it was a surprise. I'd never thought of it myself. I got the call and got the offer, and it's like coming home again. I've been smiling ever since the month of May started. Uh, before that, the IndyCar series, has it been, been good and entertaining from a broadcaster's standpoint? Oh, yeah. The first races have been incredible. I mean, we're, we're now coming into uh, the Indianapolis 500, and we don't have a repeat winner in the series yet. 
And it, it just seems that they're so evenly matched now. Uh, the other day during practice, I haven't done it on today's practice, but the other day the first uh, 30 cars were all within one second of one another. Now, at Indianapolis, that one second, those tens and thousands, when you're running 230-plus miles an hour, makes a big difference. But still, that, you know, that's such a close group. And by the way, we do have a 230-mile-an-hour lap in practice today, which uh, got rained out a little while ago. So they're done for the day. They'll start early in the morning. But Ed Carpenter ran a lap of 230.5 miles an hour. Do you believe that? And he was last year's pole winner. I uh, could see a possible exactly. repeat. One of the one of uh, many American drivers in this year's field. Last time a USA-born driver won the 500 was Sam Warnish Jr. in 2006. It would it be good for the series if a guy like Ryan Hunter Ray or Ed Carpenter were to win it next Sunday? You know, I'm not sure. I used to think that that mattered a great deal. I'm not so sure of that anymore. Um, because these drivers come in, and you take like Anelio Castroneves, he's a Brazilian, but they all come here and live. And if you take him as an example, he's so endeared himself to the fans. Well, I think it would be nice to have an American winner, absolutely. But how much difference does it make? I'm really not sure. And I know I get so involved in the race that I really don't care, as long as they're driving great. Exactly. And you've covered a lot of Indy 500s back in your day. Personally, what was your uh, favorite 500 moment? Oh, I think it was a radio moment uh, in 1982. Uh, Gordon Johncock and Rick Mears were on their way to racing to the then closest finish in history. And we as a, a radio network, and you can't do this without the team. And the team of that day, we, with about nine laps to go, uh, we knew that Rick Mears was closing at such an interval per lap that he should be side to side with the leader at the um, – at the at the checkered flag, and he was. So we set it up that way. We called it that way, and we had a terrific last lap call. And of course, uh, 2003 was just as exciting uh, when the controversial uh, Paul Tracy thought he had the Paul win. Paul Tracy and Elio. Yep. And then in 1999, when Robbie Gordon ran out of fuel and Kenny Brack won it for AJ Foyt. A lot of great Indy 500 moments. Oh, they're all great. Uh, they're a all... lot of a lot of interesting storylines this year as well. We have. Uh, Kurt Busch coming from the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series to do the double. We have Helio Castroneves racing the old school all yellow Pennzoil paint scheme. What has your, been your favorite storyline from the month of May so far? Well, I really like Kurt Busch's presence. Uh, last time I actually worked with him, he was uh, taking a weekend off from his uh, cup run to uh, drive a pro stock at, at the, at the uh, Gator Nationals, the race in Gainesville, Florida. And when he got eliminated in the first round, he came up and sat in the booth for the rest of the race with us. He just, I like him, good guy. And he's uh, he's been pretty candid with all of us about what he's feeling, what he's seeing. He's asking for a lot of help. So he's a good story. But, uh, you, you know, you got the routine at the front, uh, Carpenter. I just gave you the 230. And you got Montoya, Castro Nevis, Dixon. Uh, they're all up there at the top. Uh, J.R. Hildebrand is also today run in that top order as well. The, the big thing I think that we're going to see tomorrow when we come on the air is the fact that uh, they got very little practice time. They ran the race on Saturday. Those teams that had 
other cars, we're able to put them out for practice, but it was a very limited practice. If you're a one-car team, you really got a problem because you had to change that car over from a road racing configuration to a super speedway configuration. That's about a 14-hour process. And so they had to do it overnight or just decide to lose Sunday. And then we have had rain every day this week. And, of course, you can race in the rain on a road course. You cannot when you're going 230 miles an hour at uh, Indianapolis. So a lot of people don't have the time that I think they would have liked or that we would have liked going into tomorrow's qualifications. The officials were kind enough just a few minutes ago to announce an expansion of the morning practice time to try to give them a better opportunity and the weather for Saturday and Sunday for both days of qualifications uh, appears to be good. All right, we'll get you out of here on this, Mr. Page. Has the new DW12 chassis that IndyCar brought in a few years ago helped uh, these cars go faster and also with downforce to uh, prepare them for these speedway courses on the IndyCar series calendar? Yeah, and what they've really done with it and done it quite successfully in most places is um, they have a car that is fairly equal so that yeah, one, people, one, one group of people might say, well, I don't like a spec car. But from my point of view, that car, with so many of them being equal by design and engineering, turns so much back over to the driver. So what you're seeing is a result of a driver using his skills, but he still has a great platform under him. It is a very safe platform, which may have a downside because they feel safer. And as a race driver, when you feel safer, then you take more risks. And we've seen that on more than one occasion this year where somebody stuck a nose in just thinking, I'll be fine, you know, and then suddenly there's four cars all involved, like at Long Beach. It's a a great car, and they're working on another set of aerodynamic packages that will make it even better next year. All right, he's Paul Page, voice of the IndyCar Series on the IMS Radio Network. The official qualifying is this weekend on Sunday, and then Carb Day and the A98th running of the Indianapolis 500 next weekend. Thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us here on Fanatic Radio. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. As we bring the two members of the Fanatic Radio team for the last few minutes of the show back to football. Uh, we excited with the great conversation. I know. Grant has no idea what we're talking about, but Flo and I are are diehard, diehard racing fans. And the 98th running of the Indy 500 is not this weekend, but next weekend as we have a Memorial day grow off, but back to football Mm. talk. We got the Browns, which uh, is laughable considering that because the Cleveland Browns, you know, you guys to take on this, uh, they, they get Johnny Manziel. He's not even the first overall pick for, for their selection. And then you have Joe Hayden signing the largest contract in quarterback history. And now no media. We, we're, we've been denied, not allowed to attend the Browns minicamp. Graham, what are your thoughts? The Browns city of Cleveland is just going in chaos, right? I'm, it's the biggest thing to happen to Cleveland really since the decision. So, I mean, they're just – they're so starved for any sort of success from their sports teams. They've just been so pitiful on every single front uh, since LeBron left Cleveland. And they're just, they finally have something to be excited about. And <laughs> they've been such a basement dweller that, I mean, I would be excited too, because Johnny Manziel, I think was probably the most exciting player to draft in that, in that draft class, simply based off of what he had done in college. Maybe definitely not the best player, 
but definitely the most exciting. And he br- he brings something to Cleveland that wasn't there. We get a lot of we get a lot of these cities that uh, they're just not. There's no excitement there. There's always an air of excitement surrounding certain teams, such as the Seahawks or the Cowboys. People are always excited about the Cowboys just because they're such they're so in the spotlight. But you get te- teams like Cleveland. They suffer from the fact that they're just. They might be a decent sized city, but just nobody cares because uh, because of their exactly. their streak of uh, their bad runs, I guess. Yeah, well, I was gonna say a lot of this is much to do about nothing concerning. This team's just still gonna be the doormat of the AFC North, right? Because you have the Steelers, and then you have the Ravens, and the what is it? The Bengals made the playoffs last year. Yeah, I think the Bengals are still probably the best team in that division. Although we'll have to see if. Uh, Catherine Webb suits up for them at any point with our good boy uh, J.J. McCarron getting drafted by them last week. But, yes. um, but I mean, I think in that division, I think Pittsburgh is, I think they're going backwards. And I think Baltimore is not a just that team, too. If if either Hoyer plays well or if Manziel plays well, and they've been cursed at quarterback. I mean, nobody needs to bring up uh, uh, the great uh, Tim Couch era. Tim Couch, yes. Yeah, Isn't was, Jake DeLome yeah. on that team as well? Who? Wasn't Jake DeLome with the Browns? Yes, he oh, was. Yeah, he was uh, that one year, and he was he was atrocious. But I do. You did bring up the uh, the Joe Hayden contract. I mean, I, I mean, you, you give uh, the Seahawks gave an enormous contract to Sherman. They gave like forty million guarantee. They're giving these guys quarterback money. They're the cornerbacks. What is yeah. going on? And especially when Cleveland just drafted a quarterback, cornerback, in the first round with their first mm-hmm. pick, and um, uh, Justin Gilbert out of Oklahoma State. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. It's all of insurance. Isn't Josh Gordon? Isn't Josh Gordon uh, getting suspended by the league? It, yeah, it they, appears... signed, they signed Miles Austin and Miles oh, uh, Austin. Who, did, who else did they? So they signed one other like mid mid level. Oh, they signed uh, Andrew Hawkins from uh, the Bengals. He was a solid player. Yeah, but I don't know. They didn't drop player. any receivers. It was it was insane. I don't know what yeah. they were doing. I thought I thought they were primed to go Marquise Lee in the top of the second round. And Joe Bitonio, I like him. He's a good player, but I mean, and he does fill a need at right tackle. But they need another receiver. I mean, what, what are they doing? It's Cleveland. Cleveland sucks. Yeah, but uh, happy rock. for your happy for your pack flow, haha, ha, Clinton uh, Dix, good good solid pickup. Absolutely, because I now I have uh, so many so much room to make haha, uh, ha, Clinton Dix now jokes now, for you know yes. in any way you can imagine. But I I was I told my old man, and at this point he is old, that I would have been if either the safeties fell twenty one, we're gonna take him, and somehow. Clinton Dix was the guy that fell. I thought if any, if either it would be Calvin Pryor, but I'm a big Clinton Dix fan. He'll give us a center field guy that we didn't really have at the safety position. Our safeties were dreadful last year. And I really like what we did. We uh, got to him. We also dropped some wideouts. Uh, I, think, I think we're poised for another solid run at the top of the NFC North. Yeah, especially uh, for you, Flo. I had my uh, my good hu- humble slice of humble pie the other uh, last week when Teddy Bridgewater went to Wait, the the, uh, the Vikings. We had um, 
The, uh, yeah, humble slice of humble pie. What does that mean? <laughs> Bridgewater went to the Vikings, and for the first for the first two minutes of the show, I said Blake Bortles was trying to be a good NFL quarterback, and I said AJ McCarron because he comes from a pro system. And then we had Cole Stop. Patterson, our draft Stop. expert, on. Stop with and right there. Stop with that. We had we had Cole Patterson on to talk about NFL draft, and he said Bridgewater's the best because. He doesn't have to be number one because he's got a team with Adrian Peterson, Greg Jennings, and I was like, oh, yep. I'm going to go quiet for about three minutes now. Yep. Bortles, All right, uh, who's your coach the last? He's not going to start in the NFL. Get out of here. He barely got drafted. Everyone's like, oh, this guy was a, was a high zone hopeful. I was like, uh, he, you know. He, I thought he, I, he went a little later. I was shocked that Jack Menberg, who I think can start in the NFL, fell to the sixth round. But I don't think McCarron can so – I think he can push Andy Dalton, be like a Sean Hill type, but I don't think he's got yeah. that kind of arm or mobility mm-hmm. to fly in the NFL. I think well, speaking of sixth round, great. Michael Sam was picking the sixth round. Better. As we go to our Fanatic Radio Extra, catch the uh, on the podcast on iTunes. Now we are on the, uh, the exclusive Fanatic Radio uh, overtime as – Michael Sam was picked in the sixth round. Uh, These are interesting two audio clips I want you guys to listen to. What are you talking about? Seventh round. There's so so many rounds. It should be like the NBA. There should be two rounds. The best of the best go. Well, it used to be, there used to be 12 rounds. The NBA used to be. That's right. Deacon Jones was like an 11th round pick. And I was looking at this and I was like, what in the world? We have 11 rounds. Anyway, I want you guys to listen to these two audio clips uh, because this, this this hits close to a, to home in Dallas, Texas, of uh, a lot of controversy uh, swirling around this Michael Sam thing. Oh, First I, off, I here know is, what you're talking about. Here's Flo's boy, Dale Hansen of WFAA, talking about his thoughts on Michael oh, Sam. Convince me there were 248 better college players and better NFL prospects in that draft. 248 better than the SEC's Defensive Player of the Year? There's just no way. I've worked with gay men in my station and in my department for more than 40 years now. And not one of those guys has ever hit on me, and I'm starting to get a little ticked off about it. Not now, but, hey, in my day, I was a good-looking guy, and yet nobody tried. Uh, there's Dale Hansen, like a clown as always. Apparently the last time when, uh, when you, Flo, and I were uh, on the show talking about Michael Sam uh, coming out <laughs> and declaring for the draft, uh, yep. apparently Dale Hansen went on uh, Ellen DeGeneres. That's right. And so no, now... a legend in your part of the country. That's right. Who, uh, For those of you that don't know him, got, was originally famous because he was one of the, the early guys that hopped on and broke the uh, the SMU paying scandal, the Ponygate, mm. and, expo- and exposed all that. So now the next clip I want you guys to listen to, I'll give you a little background of it for those and the listeners that don't know this. Apparently I there is this, there's this low-budget... Yeah, um, television yeah, station in it. Dallas, KTXD, which on my cable at home, it is so far in the triple digits, I didn't even think it was an actual channel. Anyway, yeah, there is, they, have a, they have a show as a response to The View, which I want to give a shout-out to Barbara Walters, as it was her, like, her last day yesterday or something like that. Yes, Matt. Yes, sir. Tap that. To say we love... <laughs> say we love Barbara. Uh, originally, the inspiration to uh, Veronica Corningstone on Will Ferrell's The Anchorman. Uh, okay, okay, stop. Anyway, so there's this show called The Broadcast. It has uh, four women on it. Three about women in their in their 30s, and then this one old old woman. 
um, basically it turned it turned from a pretty pretty tentative discussion about Michael Sam and what it is and what what him kissing his boyfriend on national television meant in the public eye, and then it just straight up turned into a cat fight. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. They were fine for expressing how they felt. Mm-hmm. They were fine well, for, what happened for, for making America. Well, here's the deal: because because they are as part as of an organization. The Clippers, the Clippers um, owner is coming off. People that are making tacky comments about this guy being a homosexual and kissing his boyfriend, those are just as racist. Mm-hmm. Those are just what? Those comments are just as racist. Like Bias. making comments yeah. about that it's gross to see two men kiss on ESPN. Uh, we have to see men kiss on NBC and on ABC why, why and on HBO. What's the difference? I want to know what you're thinking. Why are you I'm, shaking your I'm head? I'm shaking my head because people don't have the right to express the way they feel if it offends somebody else. I'm, I am, I am, I live in America. I still feel like I have the right of freedom of speech and I don't have to be penalized for my own opinions, especially in my own house, that I have that right as an American. But they're and not I, your wait, own house if you're putting them minute, on Twitter. Wait a minute. I'm talking about in my house, in my house, as, as what's his name was in his house. Michael Sam? That, no, the no, other the guy. Clippers co- that, Clippers. The, the Clippers guy oh. was in his house <laughs> when he, and was recorded. And, and now... Two people say that they don't like to see the kissing, and they're fined. But That's Michael, right. Sam, well, what when they Michael said something Sam bad about Tebow home as well. Michael Sam and his boyfriend were in their hotel. And they took their a home picture and posted it all over. To, to, to ESPN live. took a picture. Well, right. that, well that, yes. they knew yes. he was ESPN. Why are you allowed to kiss? That's, and why aren't I allowed to say it? I, it, I didn't tell you why. Because when you comments say it offends you and you don't want to watch I'm, it, it kind of comes off as being racist towards oh homosexuals. Oh, my gosh. I'm racist is the new word of the world. Hello. You can't say what you feel without being persecuted. If it doesn't go along with mainstream. You can't say what you want to say when you are part of an organization who has the right to tell you you're working on behalf of our organization. You're not allowed to say that. So in in this, then they become a liability. This basically escalated, and that's only a two-minute clip yep. of a nine-minute video of these women just going at each other. And then, and then, some names and then the blonde woman, and then uh, what's her name? She 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 left. And, and the best yeah. Yep. I'm going. I'm going yeah. to Midland. Like what the? What She's going mean? to Midland. Yep. Um. What's her name? Amy Kushner. Who, looking yeah. at her bio on the website, has no journalism experience at all. She uh, the, the bio on a bio on the page says uh, she's a graduate of SMU, so she's local. Never been outside the walls of Highland Park. A full-time wife, mother, and believes that life is too short to doing what you are called to do. So do what you love. Why is this woman on television? She gets up and walks around. The funny thing is, what was that? She gets up and walks out. And the next day, they they basically explained how they were complete buffoons, but they never apologized. That's the one thing that that I I don't understand. She went on Fox News last night and was like, "Well, uh, you know, I'm not offended by, but they shouldn't show it." You know, well, first these women—they didn't apologize. Though that's the thing that makes me like. Well, you had the one woman that was like standing up for Michael. Say, well, the best part is about is our good friend Josh Feldman, who works for me at where I where I saw the club. They found the club where that Kushner lady they had on the Chippendales. And everyone knows what the Chippendales are. You know the uh, 
basically the male strippers, and they were flaunting around in studio. And she was loving it, had no problem. How was that? How was that the same thing? Where was her outrage then? Exactly. And, and then you said, got she yeah. She, in her, or you just said in her bio that she, you should uh, live life and li- love who you want to love and the once and full. That's not the double standard, man. Come on. Grant, what are your thoughts on this? I just, I can't believe the one woman who kept pointing out, like, why is this allowed? Like, ABC's Modern Family. There's a gay couple on that. Like, people watch that. They're okay with that. But it's Yeah, just, they're probably getting married on the season finale. Exactly. How about that? How about that? It's, it's unbelievable. that, And she's acting like, and at the end, she, the one woman is like, he did this just to make the news with quotation marks. And I'm like, you don't have to watch ESPN if you don't want to. Nobody is forcing you to yeah, watch. And it was in the seventh round. That's the thing. How many yeah. people were watching the seventh round? Lean the seventh round, too. I mean, yeah, exactly. like, yeah, like one of the very last picks. He was almost Mr. Irrelevant, yeah, which would have been awful. The last pick, yeah. And it's just, like, she was talking, the one woman was talking about how her kids have to watch this. And I'm like, you don't, they don't have, have to watch it. Like, they don't have to watch it. I don't know why, and you're talking about how you have the right to not have to watch people express themselves. Well, then don't watch it. That's That's literally all you have to do. And then one of the great yeah. things in the clip, too, is that she almost – they tried uh, – a couple of the co-hosts were like, well, do you want not want to see any kissing on TV? And she was like – like, she almost was like, yes, but she didn't like – was like, you know, no kissing on TV. Because, of course. And then she was like, well, ESPN would not have aired it if he was kissing another woman. It was like, that's blatantly false. That is, that's I'm, true. Yeah, we see, we see like, true. guys win championships and kiss their wives. Drew Brees yeah. brought his, touched his child on the stage when he won the Super Bowl. Absolutely. It was like kissing his wife. It's just so – but and then the, the, it, it, after the Christian lady walked off, the old one was like, well, I wish we can uh, – wish we were able to express our opinions without people having to slam bath us. Like, first off, you can't do that one way and do the other way. You know, you can't have it both ways. It's, it's Yeah, true. Exactly. These, these, yeah, I've never heard of this show, and the only the but only it, person it that actually was show. was sane. The only person that was sane was Lisa Pinero. She uh, actually yep. has, was one of the few women on that. Actually, the only woman with credible journalistic experience worked TV and in I Cheyenne. Follow her on Twitter. I did. We tried to get her on the show, and they respectfully denied us, or just didn't respond. Is she related but, to uh, MLB great Joel Pinero? I have no idea. But uh, that, that being said, all this actually got started. Uh, well, one, well, the fire was lit, uh, obviously, with Michael Sam being the first openly gay player in the NFL. And then it got out of control when they're talking about the Don Jones tweets when he got fined. Because that's when the old woman was saying, oh, what happened to this great country of America where freedom of speech? And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's just so far in left field. Those women are yeah, just I mean, out of control. I mean, Exactly. But the thing about free speech is that you, free speech doesn't mean like you can literally say whatever you want. You know what I mean? It, yeah, but the one, the that, one great the comment that I like. You can't yell fire in a movie theater. I mean, hello. Yeah, there's certain limitations. There's Supreme Court cases on this. And we love the Supreme yeah. Court. 
The one, the one great line uh, that was in that clip, though, that like only showed an ounce of credibility was, I think, one of the women was saying, "Well, uh, because she, the one woman was mad that John Jones got half the hefty fine for it, but at the same time, it's like you are representing an organization, and you can't. And like the, these women, they're on TV representing some station, and the fact that they like." Go close to throwing blows at one another. It's just, it's, it's way too insane. Any other final thoughts before we send off today? Well, you know, the, I just want to give a, uh, a shout out <coughs> for all of you listeners to our podcast. The last time I was on the show it was when Mike was still in college, and now um, as I'm giving him an air, uh, air uh, applause. To uh, uh, you for graduating college and getting uh, moving on forward. So that's my that's my uh, final thought. Jerry's final Grab thought. Any- yeah, shout out shout out to Mike Gardner for graduating college. You know, uh, we're all uh, we're all on the other side now, looking longingly out at you. So uh, good luck and good 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 luck to any yeah right. Uh, good luck to anybody graduating college. I got my sister's graduation tomorrow to go to, so uh, good luck to anybody actually moving on with their lives now. Uh, congrats, to, congrats to her as well. This is pretty much how Fanatic Radio is going to be for a very long time, so it actually worked well. Nothing went wrong, knock on wood. Yeah. But um, for all of us, one, one other quick shout-out. Uh, DC Comics pairs with Hendrick Motorsports to run some uh, Justice League paint schemes as the All-Star races this weekend. But for all of us here on Fanatic Radio, check out the yeah. podcast on iTunes, beefo360.com, and blogtalkradio.com slash Fanatic Radio. For Ben Florence, Graham Burns, our guest, Paul Page, and David Warden, I'm Mike Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next time. <laughs>